Welcome to Larry Reedy's America. Uh, today, this is a very unusual podcast I'm going to be doing. Um, I know for the regular listeners, you've heard me talk about my friends at uh, 15, Cross the Line 1524, uh, very successful podcast. Uh, they're the top 3% of the 3 million podcasters in the world after a little over three years. And uh, they've had, I've been on their podcast a few times, and every member of their podcast has been on my podcast at least once. And sometimes, uh, I think Alan Stanger's been on three or four times. But anyway, one of the most mesmerizing interviews that I've ever heard is from Father Vincent Lambert. And Father Lambert is a pastor of a parish in Brookville, Indiana. He is also the exorcist for the Archdiocese of Indianapolis. And I, they, uh, Alan graciously let me borrow uh, his podcast, his interview with Father Lambert, uh, because Brookville is a good, good distance. I was going to ask him to come up here or I could go there on a remote. But this interview was so good. I, I, and if anybody doesn't believe there's evil in the world, when you get done listening to this, I don't care if you're Catholic, Baptist, or you're not sure if you're anything, you've got to listen to this uh, interview. It's just phenomenal. And, uh, and and I also asked Alan for, uh, I had all the boys from the uh, Cross the Line 1524 out here to shoot one day, and we had such a good time. I'm going to borrow that from him uh, also and play that at a later date. But I, I think uh, you will enjoy this. I, I hope everybody listens to this and thinks about it. And, you know, I, I have some friends that said, well, I don't know, God, maybe there's a God, maybe there isn't. Um, if, if a veteran was ever World War II, Korea, Vietnam, they'll always tell you one thing. There, there's no atheist in a foxhole. <laughs> so anyway, without further ado, uh, on Cross the Line 1524, uh, there's about the first 15 minutes or 15 and a half minutes, uh, I'm, I haven't deleted it from the original, but I went through it because uh, Father Vincent is on for about, I think it's about 50 minutes, and uh, this will put it up to about 50 53 minutes or so. So without further ado, we're going to switch now to 15, cross the line, 1524's terrific interview with Father Vince. Back to Cross the Line 1524. I'm Alan Stanger with Dwayne Bischoff, Jeff Montag, Ruben Hunt, and our very special guest, Father Vincent Lampard. A lot of people, a lot of our listeners probably would never think we'd have a priest on this show. And they probably say, well, why? 
Well, Father Lampert is just not an ordinary priest. He's not. Uh, he, he does, uh, well, explain to everybody, but besides doing the normal services, what else you do? So in addition to being the pastor of St. Michael and St. Peter Parishes here in uh, Brookville, Indiana, I am also the exorcist for the Archdiocese of Indianapolis. So it's my job to investigate all alleged cases of extraordinary demonic activity and then to decide if the church needs to intervene with the special ritual that it uses. So how long have you been a priest? I have been a priest for 30 years now, June 1st, 1991. Well, congratulations. And what led you to what you're doing now? <laughs> well, the listeners should know that a priest promises obedience to his bishop and his successors. So in 2005, the Archbishop of Indianapolis appointed me to be the exorcist. It was not a job I was looking for, but it was one that found me. Uh, so that was a loaded question. I knew that answer because I read your book. <laughs> so, so did I. <laughs> so then you had to go. To, you went to Rome to study for it. Is that correct? I did. The Archdiocese of Indianapolis has always had a stably appointed exorcist, even when the practice fell out, kind of out of common usage after the Second Vatican Council, which ended in 1965. Many dioceses did no longer had a priest assigned to this ministry, but Indianapolis always had one. And uh, that priest died in 2005. Ironically, he was the pastor of the uh, parish where I attended grade school. So never small, imagined. So this <laughs> world. Well, maybe that was the. Maybe there was some uh, divine intervention there that it was meant to be. Yeah, something <laughs> like that. So never imagined that I was going to inherit a job that he had. But I was planning to be on sabbatical in Rome in 2006. So uh, the bishop said, while you're there, this is something you can now study. I'm appointing you to do this. So I arrived in Rome in 2006 in February and uh, met a fellow exorcist, Father Gary Thomas, from uh, San Jose, California. He's well known as well. He's The movie The Right uh, was based on his story. And so he introduced me to a Franciscan priest, Father Carmine de Philippus, who then allowed me to learn from him. The church says the best way to learn the ministry is through an apprenticeship model, one who's been doing it for a number of years. And at the time, Father Carmine had been doing exorcisms for 25 years. He was trained by Father Candido Amentini, which no one has ever heard of. But another student at the time was Father Gabriel Amorth, who became the chief exorcist of Rome. Uh, he passed away in 2016, but he was widely known within the world of exorcism. So prior to all this, had you been involved around any exorcisms at all? No, I always liked the fact that if somebody called me, I could refer them. <laughs> to somebody else. Somebody else. Here's a number. <laughs> now I say you need to call, and I'm like, oh. Well, that's me. Oh, wait a minute, yeah. <laughs> so when you're, when you're training, I mean, how do, what is the training involved that lets you know if it's real or, or not? A lot of that just comes from second, kind of like an instinct after you've been doing it for a while. So the church does say there are four different types of extraordinary demonic activity. So demonic possession. There can be demonic infestation, the presence of evil in a location or associated with an object. There can be demonic vexation, whereby one is receiving physical attacks 
and then demonic obsession, which are mental attacks. There are four things that I'm trained to look for. Number one would be the ability to speak and understand languages otherwise unknown to the individual, having superhuman strength beyond the, the person's normal capacity, having elevated perception, knowledge about things that a person should not otherwise know, and then finally an aversion to anything of a sacred nature, such as being blessed with holy water, being in a sacred space like a church or a chapel, having the Bible read in front of them, uh, being shown a crucifix. So if there's a negative reaction to these things, then that could be an indication that a demon is present. There's also signs of the demonic, which are, uh, you know, the temperature in the room can drop and become much colder. When a demon manifests, it will speak with a deeper voice, tone, almost like letting people know that it's in charge. There can be uh, bodily contortions, whereby somebody might begin foaming at the mouth, eyes rolled in the back of their head. They might drop on the floor and start slithering across the floor like a snake. There can be levitation. So there are many, many different signs that I would look for. So you're, but you're trained to differentiate between that and, and what we often refer to as mental illness. Correct. Or, or, or do you, it, not all mental illness is considered to have anything with a demon, dem, demonic uh, yeah that's issue. it's good because you know sometimes what the church identifies as extraordinary demonic activity is also what we see in people that have a clearly identified mental health issue so there is a protocol used in the United States number one would be for the person to have a psychiatric evaluation number two would be to have a physical examination so the church would be asking experts in the mental health field and in the medical field, is there something about this person's condition that is outside of your expertise, your training, your knowledge? The church is not asking the experts, do you think this person is possessed? The church herself will make that determination, but the church wants the best possible information because the church would cause greater harm if it labels somebody as being possessed and that label prevented the person from getting the true help that they needed from a psychiatrist or good. psychologist. Yeah. So really, it's the priest and the doctor and the psychiatrist. We want to work hand in hand to determine, is this spiritual, is it mental, or is it physical? And then give the person the true help that they need. Now, unfortunately, a lot of times people, when they contact me, they have already self-diagnosed. They believe that it's demonic, right? and if I don't tell them what they want to hear, unfortunately, they, they'll find somebody out there that will, will, that will right. agree with them. Right. right. I mean, that was part of my, and part of my research, and, and uh, the subject of it is I found that there's pay-per-exorcisms, ex and I thought, oh my gosh, I didn't, I mean, I didn't think that was a thing, but I guess you can hire somebody to perform this. I mean, it's not through the church, but I guess your subcontractor you can hire to to do it if, if you really want it done. Sounds which, like a scam to me. Yeah. There are, there are so-called professional exorcists, but, you know, an exorcism is a matter of faith. Correct. Right. right. And so if one is going to try to cast out demons apart from faith, that's a recipe for disaster. Right. Mm -hmm. I, I talked to a, a man one time from Virginia, and he had been diagnosed as being schizophrenic, and uh, he contacted me, and... I talked to him several times. I directed him to another uh, mental health professional out in Virginia. 
but uh, he called me back and goes, I really believe it's demonic. He goes, I did reach out to a professional exorcist. He told me that I have five demons, but it's going to cost $1,500 each to get rid of them. <laughs> I mean, it's really sad right. that there are people out there right. that will prey on people's brokenness. Right. All for money. Yep. So a lot of people, their uh, perception of an exorcism is what they probably saw in the 70s when the movie The Exorcist <laughs> came out. Uh, Even he chuckled at that. Uh, right? Yeah. Well, it scared the heck out of me while I watched right. it. Yeah, it scared all of us probably. <laughs> One of the things I had heard, and you can probably either say it is true or not true, is that the Catholic Church, there was some guidance during that movie from the Catholic Church. Had you heard that? Yes, the church did weigh in because that, yeah, that's what, that is based on a true exorcism yeah. case from 1949. It was a young man from uh, Mount Rainier, Maryland. He uh, belonged to a different uh, Christian faith tradition, mm -hmm. had turned to their pastor, who then referred them to the Catholic Church, and then the family did know a priest out in St. Louis. So the exorcism was performed in St. Louis. So that is, that is all true. So I, a, a question I have for you, is there, we all, we all think of like collapsing times in Christianity and everything across the world now. A lot of people talk about, in, you know, you've been now, I don't know how long you've been exorcist, right, for what? 16. 16 years. So 16. Have you seen in, what you feel is an increase or increasing rates of, of this type of behavior? In the oh. last 16 years. Oh, absolutely. Okay. When I was appointed, I became one of only 12 stably appointed Catholic exorcists in the United States, which is why I trained in Rome. There was no one to mentor with here in the United States. Now there are 125 priests in the United States appointed to this ministry. It isn't necessarily that, you know, the devil is up to his game, but I do think more people today are, are willing to play the devil's game. And that's because faith is in decline in the lives of a lot and a lot of people. Right. You know, many people who grew up in a traditional Christian home, they no longer practice that's, the faith. That's why I asked the question, because I feel like that a lot of that has backslid as far as people's Christianity and their belief in that. So would autumn would increase the other values of what you see in, in, in what is a demonic state or something. Yep. And what's really interesting about that is that you know, faith will lead us in one direction and the lack of faith will lead us in another. That's right, yes. But what's really interesting about the world of exorcism is that the devil seems to have a greater hold on people who walk away from their faith as opposed to people who have never had any faith. So if somebody knew the truth of Christ, for example, and they chose to walk away, the devil claims to have a, a deeper control on that person because they knew the truth, but they walked away. You know, in 2017, I had the opportunity to spend uh, 14 days in South Africa speaking on the topic to the South African Bishops Conference, talk to priests and deacons and train priests to be exorcists and even perform exorcisms. And people there who were not Christian, who were possessed, the exorcisms were immediate and effective. Because sometimes people will say, well, why do the prayers have to be repeated? And I say there's a difference between exorcisms and what we might call the pagan world, people that have never heard the good news of Jesus Christ, and the apostate world, backslide perhaps, so people who knew the truth and they chose to walk away. The devil does seem to have a greater claim on those people. Yeah, you know, when, if you go back to when we were teenagers, mm -hmm. all of us 
went to church. Yep. Maybe not the same church, but right. all of us and all our friends. I mean, everybody went to church. You look at teenagers nowadays, mm. that's not happening. No. And it's those values aren't being passed down at all. You know, there's kids that never walked in a church in their life and don't understand. So the mental state or the mental agreement or faith-based strength that's in someone, when they turn away, that strength goes the other direction or he pull he demons can pull from that strength and they and, and they harness that strength to pull in their direction is that what's sort of like yeah i think yeah because again people knew the truth and then they're like it doesn't really matter it doesn't make any difference and so you know the devil his demons would then believe that somehow they can get a grip on that person and sometimes people you know they open up an entry point for the demonic in their life they might do that directly when they're engaged in something that they know is wrong, but they do it anyway, indirectly when they think they're doing something that's fun and entertaining, but don't fully grasp the reality that it's giving the devil a foothold in their life. Yeah, I, I think I'll, in today's day and age, everything that's promoted, you know, 99.9% .9 of what's on TV, what's promoted, what's in music, it's not good at all. No. It's, well, it's pointing it's the easily, wrong direction. Well, it's easily, it's more easily accessible today than ever in history. I mean, we all looked at our phones and turned them off before we get here. I mean, you're, you're carrying a, a computer with you. You can get anything, any information or anything you want and, and in a, with what, a click of a button. And it's not only that, but it's what's promoted on TV. Right, right. On videos, on video games. Right. There, well, there's nothing Christian about it at all. I always I always live by this type of ruling. It, everybody needs something to believe in. And when they lose faith in what they truly believe in, they look for something else to believe in. And whatever answers their belief is where their strength gets pulled. And mm -hmm. so if they, they're feeling that way, they're being pulled that way, and that's being backed up by that other strength is how I look at that. So I, I believe we all need something to believe in. Our faith is driven, but if you're turning your faith the other way and then you start believing what's agreeable or what's likable to what you, then you're opening up yourself for a demonic convention, right? Yeah, because, again, in that case, we're trying to replace God with something of our own creation. You know, you think of it in the Old Testament, you know, when Moses went up on Mount Sinai to get the Ten Commandments, he came back and found the people worshiping a golden calf. So they turned their backs on God and wanted to worship something of their own creation. So idolatry. Right. But again, today, people look for a substitute for right. God. Right. Whether it's knowledge, all the gadgets that we carry around, whether it's pleasure, whether it's entertainment, you know, there's nothing wrong with any of these things, but when they become a higher priority of God than God in our lives, mm -hmm. is when we get ourselves in trouble. Right, right. And and we not only get ourselves in trouble, but we're we we're giving access, we're giving ourselves access to that. And and, the, and the, you know, demons are very authoritative. You know, if people will make a, you know, some type of pact with them, either knowingly or unknowingly. They're going to hold on to that and well, say... And, and that's kind of interesting when we talk about these so-called professional exorcists that are in it for the money. They're really putting themselves at fairly high risk, I would assume, <laughs> in the event that they really, truly face these demons. And as opposed to you, who has your strength of faith to protect you, 
Um, there's a good you know, example of that in, in the Acts of the Apostles in the New right. Testament where the seven sons of Siva are watching Paul do an exorcism and so they just start to mimic it. And then the demon manifests and it's like, well, Paul, we know, Jesus, we acknowledge, but who are you? <laughs> right? But again, people need to realize in an exorcism, Jesus is not a bystander. He's the main actor. Right. If people are relying on me, we're all in trouble. But if we're relying on the power and the authority of Christ and his name, that's where we should be. All right. So now I want to hear some. I, I, I know you have to have. <laughs> yeah, what's, so the, I, you know, what's the dirt? <laughs> yeah. We've got to. I know there's got to be some confidentiality, but we've got to hear some good stories. I mean, you've had to see some things that make you, even you scratch your head. Oh, yeah. The, I, yeah, I'm happy to share stories. People always like that. You know, the first exorcism I witnessed in Rome. So the three months I lived in Rome, I set in on 40 exorcisms that this priest performed. Oh, wow. So I was then able to see firsthand how the church ministered to these folks. But the very first one was a little elderly lady with her husband. And I'm, I, learned, I learned enough Italian, I say, to, to order lunch. But <laughs> talking to her and her husband... I thought, there's nothing unusual about this. You know, this isn't going to be so bad. And then uh, Father Carmine, the priest training me, he walked into the room. He put a roll of paper towels on the table. He walked back out. He came back in again and tied a plastic grocery bag onto the wall radiator. He walked back out again, came back in, and he has the ritual of exorcism with him. He picks up holy water, throws it on this little old lady. Instantly, her eyes rolled in the back of her head. She started growling and snarling, throwing out blasphemies against God, and she is foaming at the mouth. And I'm looking at this like, what in the world is going on? And Father Carmine just reaches over, tears off a paper towel, wipes her mouth off, and then throws it in the plastic bag. He, he, he doesn't even flinch. <laughs> and I'm over there looking at this in disbelief, thinking, what in the world has my bishop gotten me into? <laughs> <laughs> that same lady, though, later on, she told, you know, the priest, so the demon is manifesting. The demon gave the illusion that it had been cast out. And you hear the woman's voice, and she's like, I really want to thank you, Father, for praying with me today. You can stop praying now. There's no longer need to pray because I'm okay now. And then Father Carmine just kind of looked at her at the corner of his eye and then threw holy water on again. And the voice came out and said, I told you you could stop praying now. <laughs> Oh, I'd be out the door. <laughs> I'm just about out the door right now. I did, a, I did an exorcism. Uh, you know, entry points. Ties to the occult seems to be a big entry point mm -hmm. where people are dabbling in things of the paranormal is a main entry point. Another entry point is the entertainment industry. People get caught up in all these movies and gadgets and games and literature and that type of thing. But there was one lady who told me that when she was growing up in... Mexico, I do hear horrific stories about people's lives, but she told me that her father began raping her at the age of seven, and it continued over a five-year period. When she turned 12, her father turned his attention to her younger sister. She was broken, felt like she had been abandoned by God, and she turned to curanderos, witch doctors and brujas and witches who said they could help her put the pieces of her life back together. 
and but she was only left even more broken. So she's telling me the story. She's sobbing. There's another younger priest sitting next to me. The lady's across the table with a friend who came with her. She looks at me and she says, Father, can you help me? And I looked at her and said, Jesus is going to help you. As soon as I said that, her eyeballs turned green and her pupils became slanted like a serpent. And this voice came out of her mouth that said, who's he? He no longer. He has no power over us. Well, at that time, the priest sitting next to me, he fell to his knees and he, he started praying, you know, prayers left and right. The lady's friend literally jumped over the table to get away from her. I immediately got up and I went over, put my hand on the head of this person. The demon is growling and snarling, foaming at the mouth, starts cussing me out. And then I reach in my pocket and take some holy water out and bless the person. There's a screaming and a shriek, and the demon collapses onto the floor. Now, I didn't do an exorcism at that moment because I need to prepare myself. There's no such thing as an emergency exorcism. So as a priest, I celebrate Mass. I will go to confession. I'll spend time in prayer. I determine where the exorcism will take place, always in a sacred space. So it's never in an abandoned house on a dead-end street <laughs> at midnight during a thunderstorm. That makes for a great Hollywood movie. Yeah. But the devil does not get to decide where he will be defeated. The church herself will make that determination. So the following week, we are in a chapel in Indianapolis. And uh, the younger priest, he did come back. I convinced him to. <laughs> the lady came with her friend and uh, began the prayer of exorcism. Soon as I began... I, the demon manifested. There's the green eyes again, the slanted pupils. The demon looked at me and laughed and goes, you can't get rid of us. We've been here too long and you're not strong enough. And then began to laugh and howl. One of the parts of the exorcism ritual is the insufflation prayer. It's breathing on the face of the person, invoking the Holy Spirit. It recalls when Jesus breathed on his disciples and said, receive the Holy Spirit, because wherever the Holy Spirit is present, an unclean spirit cannot remain. So this lady sitting in the chair, the demon is manifesting, howling and snarling at me. I lightly blow on the face of this person. It's like she's hit with a hurricane force wind. The chair flies back 10 feet, hits the wall. There's a scream and a shriek. And the lady comes flying up out of the chair and lands on the floor. Myself and the other priests lift her up and she is literally glowing because the demon is gone. And that's my experience when a demon is cast out, a person literally glows, they're radiating the glory of God. And the best analogy I can give, if people have ever seen a picture of a saint, there's always a halo around their head. Right. It's not their glory they're radiating, they're radiating the glory of God. So much so did they unite their will with the will of God that they're now radiating God's glory. And anytime a demon is cast out, that's exactly what I see. That session took 45 minutes. So our listeners are like, this is the first time we haven't heard Reuben, Allen, Dwayne, and Jeff talk. So we're in awe. Yeah, this is, I'm, yeah. So, I mean, wow, I'm, I'm just in wow. Um, your first event, was it, was it at that moment when you realized this, I, this, I, I, this is my calling, I need to heal? Is, is, do you ever get that point? Absolutely, yeah, because none, none of this scares me to, in the least. 
Okay. Not in the least. So, well, I think he's mean the first one was cut. You were, said you were kind of like, what am I into? But was there a point where you went, point. yeah, now I, this is me. I know this yeah. is it. Absolutely. Okay. So coming back, you know, to the States, you know, when you're in Rome, you know, you rely on the priest that's training you. But to be in back here, it's me. I'm on my own now. Yeah, I, I can't call Ghostbusters. <laughs> They're not coming. <laughs> and you ain't afraid of no ghosts. <laughs> my, so, one of my brothers gave me that T-shirt. <laughs> I got that for Christmas one year. I ain't afraid of no ghosts. <laughs> well, well, you talk about you get the, I guess, the manifestation or the manis. Manifestations and the and the voices. Are there? I mean, are there? Is there set seven of them? And is there? You know, I mean, is there? Are there certain ones, or is it? You have no idea what you're getting in, and is the, you never know what you're going to get into. But the, the voice will always change because, you know, it's like a, a dog barking. It gets higher because the demon wants to instill fear and convince everybody that it's in charge. You know, like, I'm in charge here. Right. Nobody else is. Of course, as an exorcist, I'm there to say God is in charge. And people should never put God and the devil on the same playing field. The devil right. is still a creature, you know, highly intellectual and, and powerful, but still a creature. Well, as, well, and on the, I mean, have you ever, or have you ever or know anyone that is actually... The, the, the demon possessed said that they were, you know, were the devil, you know, was Lucifer, was the, you know, <laughs> the king. Yes, I, I, was, I was down in Nashville, Tennessee uh, last year working with the new exorcist in that diocese. And there was a man he wanted me to meet when I was there. And the man was uh, possessed by two demons. One of them was Beelzebul. And the other one was uh, Baphomet. And at one point... The demon Baphomet was was manifesting and began speaking in this strange language. And I said to the demon, I command you in the name of Christ to tell me what you're doing. And the demon said that it was glorifying Beelzebul because it was a higher ranking demon than itself. And so it was giving glory to a demon of a higher nature. Now Beelzebul means Lord of the Flies. And it's also a term that can be used for the devil himself because you think of Lord of the Flies, flies are around dead things, and it was Satan who introduced death into the world when he, in the Garden of Eden when he says to, to Eve, you know, surely you will not die, you will become like gods. But, you know, the devil is, is a liar. He's the father of all lies. So he said, surely you won't die, but that's exactly what happened. Death came about, so Beelzebub. The priest that trained me said that he worked with somebody for five years in Rome, and it just seemed like they kept hitting a wall. So finally he commanded the demon, you know, is your name Lucifer? And the demon responded, I used to be known by that name, but no longer. Meaning the devil can no longer use the name Lucifer, because to use the name Lucifer would be to acknowledge the one who gave the name, God himself, and because the devil has rejected God, he cannot use that name anymore. Huh. Do, do, do they keep track of, I mean, do you keep track of the, the different names or, I mean, is there a repetition? Like, do you seem to meet the same demon over and over or is it, or does anybody pay attention or am I just? There are higher ranking demons. So 
you know, in the book of Revelation, it says that when Lucifer fell, one third of the stars in the sky fell as well. And that's a reference to the fall of the angels. So one third of the angelic choir fell. So God created the angelic world, gave them infused knowledge. So angels don't have to learn anything. That's why a demon could speak a language that it doesn't otherwise know. It doesn't have to learn it. It can just call it up. But God created the angelic world, gave them this knowledge, and then said, with the knowledge that I have given you, will you now unite your will with my will? Two-thirds said yes. Lucifer, along with one-third, said no. And then they were cast down to the earth. Are you looking for the perfect Christmas gift? Maybe a side-by-side? or a little ATV or a dirt bike for your kids? Well, come out to Hoosier Power Sports. We're located next to East Central High School in St. Leon, Indiana. Hoosier Power Sports is the Tri-State's largest Heisen Sales and Service Center. We are also the Tri-State's largest Tau ATV and dirt bike sales and service center. We have plenty of units in stock for Christmas and more on the way all the time. We are offering free layaway now until Christmas with a $200 deposit. Mention this ad and receive $25 off any Tau Tau and $100 off any new Hisun. Hurry while selection is still good. Come visit us at Hoosier Power Sport in St. Leon, Indiana, located at 7892 Schumann Road, or visit our website at HoosierPowerSports.com. Are you tired of hearing the same old songs over and over on the radio? Every single hour, the same tune? Well, it's time for something different. Check out hometown radio usa the best independent music hits from yesterday hits from today podcasts and so much more hometown radio usa you can find it on the web at www.hometownradiousa.com or at the app store or on google play hometown radio usa reimagining radio and coming to you in your hometown There's nothing like that taste of fresh honey. Pure as can be. All natural. Check out Hoosier Creek Farm. Right outside of Brookville, Indiana. You can find them on Facebook at Hoosier Creek Farm. Learn a little bit about beekeeping. What it takes to get that fresh honey. Remember, how do you know it's pure honey? If you don't know the beekeeper. Hoosier Creek Farm. Proud to be one of our sponsors at Cross the Line 1524. So, any uh, people levitating? Yes, I have witnessed levitation during an exorcism. There you go. But the manifestations are really the demons saying, look at what I can do, look at what I can do. So it's trying to shift the focus away from the power of God that is at work in this particular prayer of the church to say, look at what I'm able to do. I've had exorcists tell me that demons have manifested and the person crawls up the wall like a spider. That, and you look at this and you're like, how in the world? But that's exactly the reaction that the devil would want. The levitation I witnessed in Rome was, Father Carmine was praying with somebody and the demons just got this hideous look on its face, got really quiet, and then I looked over and in the person was floating up out of the chair And I'm looking at this in disbelief, 
and Father Carmine is praying. He looks over out of the corner of his eye. He sees the person levitating. He continues to pray. He looks over again. He continues to pray. And then he just takes his hand, puts it on the head of the person, and pushes them back down in the chair without ever pausing one moment in the prayer, basically with the attitude, really? That's the best you got? Right. <laughs> wow. Oh. Well, I said, with with you and, and what you've experienced, does the demon always, always contest you? Does he always battle you? Or so, um, in the Gospels, when Jesus, in the examples where Jesus eliminated demons, they, it, it, to me, it seemed they immediately recognized his power. Yep. And rather than challenge him, they would make requests such as, you know. Uh, put us in that herd of swine, mm-hmm. right? As a put, so, with you, is is there a difference in how they react to uh, exorcists as far as that challenge? If the exorcist is acting in the name of Christ and the authority of Christ, it's the same reaction. Exorcists are trained not to engage in casual conversation when demons manifest because then I've walked away from the power and the authority of Christ and I'm now have a sense of curiosity. So now it's me facing the demon. Okay. And if it's me facing the demon... You're the one debating the issue. Yeah, and I'm in trouble. Right. So again, if the focus is always... You know, there's a, a phrase Catholics use, it's, it's a Latin phrase, that priests act in persona Christi, in the person of Christ. So as long as I'm acting in the person of Christ, I don't have anything to fear. If I start acting in my own name, I'm right. in trouble. Even the right. priest trained me before I left Rome. He told me, if you're ever doing an exorcism, and even for a split second think, wow, look at what I'm doing. He said, you've just walked on unholy ground because it's not what you're doing it's what God is doing through you as his minister. Yeah, and I think that's, we kind of hit on that, that risk of not having that strength of faith mm-hmm. and the, the knowledge and understanding of those things that, it, you know, it's like, you know, you want to tell people, don't try this at home. Because, yep. oh, yeah. you know, it, it's, it's, uh, there's, a lot more, there's a lot more to this than, and you really put yourself at... at yeah, it's, it's not a hobby, it's not a game. People have to realize it's something very, very serious. And, you know, the Catholic Church doesn't have a monopoly on the practice of exorcism. You know, Christ works in all of his churches. But again, the focus has to be on him. But if it ever becomes on the individual, that's where trouble will ensue. Now, are there, we always, we're thinking of all is evil. Are there, like, a neutral, I mean, do you ever have neutral, uh, has anybody become possessed with something that's not necessarily evil? To where you've been asked to, you know, I don't know, I don't know how, that they're just not, I guess, evil, but they're like a, I don't know. Part of a different world or being Well, just a neutral, like a kind of a neutral spirit. Is, is that such a thing or? I wouldn't say. Um, what I was going to say is that the question would be, is the entry point inherently evil? Meaning, it has a connection with evil, such as a Ouija board, for example. Some people might say it's nothing but a harmless board game, but it's inherently evil. With somebody practicing magic, all magic is inherently evil. And I don't mean the illusionist making, you know, a car disappear or pulling right. a rabbit out of their hat, you know, the Las Vegas show. 
that's an illusionist, but magic, all magic is inherently evil because there's a demonic component to it. So the, the danger might be if people aren't aware that there is a demonic component to it. And then that's where they can indirectly open up an entry point for the demonic into their life. Wow. So give us an example of that magic uh, as opposed to the illusionist. That's where people are, you know, trying to cast spells or curses. So there was a, uh, I did an exorcism in a Yupik Eskimo village in, in Alaska in 2019. So I flew up to Anchorage and then I was training the new exorcist in, in Anchorage and we flew 300 miles west to the small little village of 500 people. And the Bishop of Fairbanks, Alaska had told me that there was a young lady possessed in the village and said he had no one to do the exorcism. He said, would you do it for me and bring the guy you're training so he can learn as well. And uh, I get there and the young lady comes with her sister, her brother-in-law and her grandmother. The grandmother tells me that it was her parents. Her mother was the witch in the village and her father was the witch doctor. And there was a curse passed down through the family that then hit this young girl. So she had a curse placed on her. So we're in the church there in this small little village. The demon manifests. It takes five people to hold the demon down. And when I pull out the crucifix, the demon says to me, your God is dead, and then begins to laugh. Now, it scared the bejeebers out of everybody. everybody and they're, and they're, they're all like, ah! The one sister, she ran and flew out of the church. I had, I had to go out and get her. And she was actually a flying nun. She was. She flew out of there, and she told me, she goes, I'm not going back in there. She goes, I looked back after I was running out of there, and she goes, I saw demons all around you in there. And she goes, I want no part of that. She goes, I am terrified to be back in there. But that is an example of... You know, it, it was a curse, which is a form of magic and, you know, casting spells and whatnot on people. And, and curses are only effective if people are weak in their faith. Because right. we cannot control what somebody else does. You know, Paul's letter to the Ephesians about putting on the armor of Christ. Living out our faith will protect us. You know, Psalm 91, I need not fear the terror of the night nor the arrow that flies by day. It's the notion that... You know, if we put on the armor of our faith, it doesn't matter what somebody else is doing. It'll have no effect on us, whatever. But if we are weak in our faith, then the demonic will look for a kind of a crack in the armor, if you will, and come in and cause problems. Have you ever performed an exorcism that did not work? No. Every exorcism is effective even if it doesn't bring deliverance at that point, meaning it provides some benefit to the person. Some relief at that point in time. Because it's my experience that when somebody's possessed, it's not a matter of one demon, but demons. It's interesting that in the Bible, when demons speak, they always go from speaking in the singular to the plural, back to the singular. You know, I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Have you come against us before the appointed time? So when somebody is possessed, there's a cluster of demons, and there's always a higher-ranking demon. Demons have no love for one another. They hate each other just as much as they hate humanity, but they are united in their hatred of us. The weakest demons are always the first to go. The strongest demons are always the last to go. I did an exorcism on a, uh, a person who had invited the demon in. 
And so the demon, there were seven demons that named themselves in this person. Six of them went away quickly. The one demon told me it was named was Leviathan, a, a name mentioned in the Bible, the great sea monster. And it told me it was not leaving because it had been invited in. And because it had been invited in, it was claiming this person as its own. And we could say that in an exorcism, the demon is commanded to return that which it has stolen, namely a person created in the image and likeness of God. Because the human person, we have the capacity to grow in holiness and virtue. We can say to ourselves, that was really dumb, and we can repent. And if we have that sense of repentance, then the demon has to let go. Because an exorcism cannot be performed on anyone against their will. They have to want it. There was an elderly man I spoke to one time. His family belonged to a Christian church, and they were concerned about him because they told me throughout his life he had fostered relationships with demons, and they were afraid that he was going to die and what would happen to him. And so I go to visit the man, and he says, I know my family is concerned about me, but he goes, they need not be. He goes, I have no, no desire to be in heaven with God. He goes, it's my desire to be in hell one day with the devil and these demons that I have befriended throughout my lifetime. Now, that's crazy talk to me, <laughs> but we can pray that he comes to his senses, right. because as long as there's a breath in our body, you know, we have hope. We think of the good thief on the cross when Jesus says, this day you'll be with me in paradise. Another young man I met at a correctional facility, I went with another priest who said, I think this young man is possessed. And so we go there, and the young man had was pulled over for speeding, and he punched out the cop that pulled him over and ended up in this facility. And the, man, the young man says to me, he goes, ever since I declared Satan to be my father, I have found such a power. And he goes, and it's so addicting. He goes, I would never let go of it. And so the other priest was like, well, can we pray with you? He goes, well, you can pray if you want. But he goes, I don't care. So the other priest starts praying. This young man closes his eyes, and I see his eyes start to move a mile a minute in his head. His back starts to arch, and there's a light growl starting to come out of him. And I'm thinking, he's going to manifest right now, and this is not the time nor the place. So I just immediately, the other priest is praying, and I said, amen, ended the prayer, because <laughs> I thought, this is not the time or the place. And on the way home, the other priest said to me, he goes, I really thought he was going to manifest when I was praying. I said, if that was the case, why did you close your eyes? Right. You learn right away that if you're dealing with somebody that might be possessed, you don't close your eyes. You keep your eyes on them all the time. The young man did come to see me a couple times when he was released, but he never really did want help. He really, I mean, crazy talk again, still claimed Satan to be his father. Have you, have you ever performed an exorcism that resulted in a death? Never, never. Okay. I know there's that case of the exorcism of Emily Rose that mm -hmm. came out of Germany. Yeah. So that's a, that, that movie is really not reflective. I mean, there was a death there. But that, the time frame when, and, and the time that that movie happened was not right. when it said. Mm -hmm. so, What's really a good point about that, though, is... If somebody is possessed, you know, the, it's the connection between, it's a physical connection because there can be no actual connection between a human soul and a demon. So if one were possessed and they were to die, that connection would be broken. Okay. Yeah, so I believe that the, 
if I recall right, the parents and the priest were brought up on charges. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that, that whole... Mm-hmm. And, my, and my, you don't know yeah. what to believe because the, the movie that came out is not exactly the what The movie's the movie, uh, trying to, yeah. So. so, question for you, too. You talk about, you know, people witchcraft and doing things. Do you think that calling a spirit is opening a door also? If you're Absolutely. asking a spirit to show himself and... That us know we're in a room. Does that does, is that walking on the verge? It absolutely is. Yes. Okay. So, like a lot of these paranormal investigators, ghost hunters, exorcists will tell you that ninety nine percent of the time that what they're encountering are demons. And you know, it isn't that the evil spirit lives, you know, in the old hospital, the old prison. It's actually the very things that one is doing that are causing the demons to manifest and to be present. You know, we all have an address. We live in a location. The demons don't live in a location because they're pure spirit. So it's the actual things that people are doing that are attracting the tension of the evil spirits and causing them to manifest. And sometimes demons may act in such a way that you perceive it as a good or a benefit. It's like when somebody goes to see a psychic or a median, they hear something that kind of tickles their fancy. And so they go once, but then they start going again and again. So curiosity leads to a reliance. But then eventually they're being pulled further and further away from God. I mean, all of these activities are clearly condemned in the book of Deuteronomy in the Old Testament, chapter 18, verses 10 through 12, where it says not to practice magic, not to consult the spirits of the dead, you know, because all of these things are a violation of the first commandment, meaning nothing should take the place of God in our lives. And when people are turning to the world of the occult and magic, they're looking for a substitute for God. Okay. So you have a book out. I do have a book. People ask me what I did during COVID lockdown. (laughs) So Father Vince's book is called Exorcism, The Battle Against Satan and His Demons. Uh, I have not got all the way through it, actually. It just came, you know, we we made contact with Father Vince and asked him on the show. You know, I waited till Wednesday to order the book, so <laughs> it got here. And then Veterans Day was in between there, so it got here yesterday. Um, so if you'd like to get his book, uh, it is on, I got mine on Amazon. I'm sure there's other places that it's available. Emmaus Road Publishing. Awesome. It's, been, it's printed out of Steubenville, Ohio. So what made you, I mean, was it the whole COVID lockdown? You just needed something to do, so you wrote a book? You know, I've always been pretty public about my role as an exorcist, using it as an opportunity to help educate people on what the church actually believes and teaches, because when something is shrouded in secrecy, it kind of takes on a life of its own. And I think it's so important for people to understand what exorcism is, who the devil is, because the more we know about the devil the more we know that he is nothing to fear. You know, the devil is all about tricks. It's all about a facade. And when people know the truth, he quickly crumbles in front of us. When when you, and that was one of my questions, is why you're you're out there when this has been so secret. Is the church happy (laughs) that you're... In, in the limelight a little bit with it? I mean, are they, are they appreciative of the education you're giving the public and, and kind of, I guess, taking the, uh, the scariness out of it and letting you know it's a real thing and kind of how, just kind of just what you said, are, are they kind of behind you on that? 
Absolutely. So I would never act, you know, I would always have to get permission from my bishop because technically the Catholic bishop in every diocese is the exorcist. He has that title by virtue of his office, but then at his discretion, he could ask another priest to do that in his name. So I act in the name of the Archbishop of Indianapolis, so I would never go against his authority because fighting the devil and being disobedient is a bad combination. It's an open door, right? It's an open door. It's a revolving door. Well, I, I tell you, I, I've enjoyed these conversations, and I, you know, I was a person that was, you know, somewhat skeptical and not a bit. I read up on it a little bit, but it's, no, Ruben it's was scared. <laughs> uh, well, I'm not listening. Everybody should be scared of something they don't know, right? And, and but I have faith that backs me, so that absolutely, and, and that's, 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 that's where all of us absolutely are, we so. all are. Um, and, uh, and I know you have another appointment yet tonight. Hopefully, it's not an exorcism, but. Uh, <laughs> I have to talk to Reuben later. No, just... <laughs> <laughs> you, you know what? Well, you got a permanent chair at the speakeasy here. You fit right in. Uh, you joke about that. That was our joke before you got here. We said, we said Reuben I was... I said, put him right next to me. If yeah. I have some, let him get it out of here. I, I think having that sense of humor is good yeah. in this ministry because, you know, I, I currently get about... Before COVID-19, I was getting 2,000 calls and emails a year. Wow. from people all of the United States wow. and other parts of the world. Wow. They come from Catholics. They come from other Christians. They come from people of other world religions, no faith background. Since COVID-19, I now get eight to 10 calls and emails a day. Wow. Oh, my gosh. And because of that, you know, it takes a lot out of you. So a sense of humor helps me right. to yeah. stay balanced. Yeah. Yeah. It's critical. So we said earlier that there is no charge for an exorcism, <laughs> and that is true. But there is a joke, and I have to tell you the joke. The joke amongst exorcists is you need to make sure you pay your exorcist because if you don't, you might get repossessed. <laughs> <laughs> There'll be a little drum and a cymbal there after <laughs> in And on that note, That's I'm great. Alan Stanger with Dwayne Bishop, Jeff Montag, Ruben Hunt, and our special guest, Father Vince. And uh, we'll see y'all next time. And keep your head above the water. And if you need help, Father Vince will take care of you. We'll see you. Well, I hope everyone enjoyed that interview with Father Vince. I mean, I, I this is about the third time I listened to it. And uh, I hope that when you do listen to this, that you pass it on. I think this is... Uh, in today's world, with all the corruption and the craziness going on, and uh, the, the shooting gallery in some of these cities with these young guys killing each other, uh, you have to have the faith. And if uh, if if you're not a practicing Catholic Baptist, whatever the Jew, whatever, still listen to this. And then think about it, because uh, I'll tell you, to me, it's mesmerizing. But I really want to thank Alan and the guys at Cross the Line 1524 for allowing me to rebroadcast their interview, because honestly, uh, Father Vince is in Brookville. It's a good drive from here to Brookville, and I, I don't think that I could have 
hitting any better interview or as good an interview. I mean, I, the guys were just great with him. So uh, hope you liked it. Uh, and I'm going to do one more. I'm going to take our, uh, our uh, shooting podcast that we did at my place here uh, about a year or so ago. And it, um, he graciously, again, let me uh, reproduce this on my podcast. And I'll do that at a later date. I don't know when I'll do it. But uh, this here uh, today is, um, what's today? Today is the 14th of um, August. So let's see. Uh, let me I, it'll probably be, um, I'll probably, this podcast will probably be out this Sunday after this coming Sunday, which I have uh, uh, Margaret Mary Hospital, some people there talking about the history and the future. So anyway, thank everybody for listening. Uh, and let's go out with the national anthem. And God bless you. God bless the United States of America. And I hope to talk to you on the next podcast.